So clearly, this is not my kind of weather, right? I think it was 60 degrees when I left uh, yesterday morning. Bunch of cancellations. Finally got here last night. Um, got a good plate of uh, cafeteria food and got to my apartment. And so <clears throat> I went to college in Tennessee. And it would snow occasionally in Tennessee, but you know it was usually melted by the next day, so we didn't have to worry with it. But I haven't driven in snow in over 20 years. So I land in Rochester yesterday, uh, get my rental car, and I, I head out. And I'm telling you, like my DNA is embedded in the steering wheel of that car. So I'm, I'm driving down the highway, and, and this is, I really, hats off to, to people that live in this area because I was treated with such kindness while I was driving yesterday. I was so surprised. But so, so the, 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 the speed limit's 65 on the highway, and I'm driving like top 40, right? I'm just like white knuckling it, like just paying attention. And so as people are passing me, they're so supportive like they're honking their horn and they're sti- and they're telling me I'm number one. Like you're number one. Like and like, buddy, I, I thrive on positive reinforcement. Now we don't. We use this finger to say number one. That's not the finger you guys use apparently. But they were telling me I was number one, and and so I'm like, no, you're number one. And then they got really aggressive to tell me I was really number one. And so I was like, dude, this is, these people are awesome. And so I got here safely, and it was it was awesome, man. I'm I was. I was really over, overwhelmed. So, um, one more piece of housekeeping. If you'll show the next slide. So, um, I wrote a book. I'm in the middle of a book tour, uh, kind of the end of the book tour. And uh, this is a book I wrote in uh, 2020, uh, Finding Washington, Why America Needs to Rediscover the Virtues of Her Most Essential Founding Father. It's uh, written more for a secular audience. And the reason I'm showing you this book title is not so that you'll buy the book. You can if you want to. I think the publishers finally dropped the price to like $10 for the paperback. But um, I created a media company that handled all the royalties and speaking fees for uh, the book. And so um, that media company is paying for me to come here and talk to you today. And so the IRS doesn't audit me and uh, fine me. I need to make sure that I mention the book so that I'm legally able to pay the bill uh, with the book fees, so enough of that. All right, so I went to college in the 90s. I went to Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee. Um, went, the denomination I was a part of, I was ordained in, uh, was Church of God. It's a Pentecostal uh, denomination, mainly in the southeastern United States. Some of you may have heard of Lee. Um, and I remember in the 90s, man, I was exactly where you guys are now. I was a student preparing for ministry, and, you know, I tell people all the time that when I was 18 years old, God called me to preach. And then God heard me preach. And he was like, dude, maybe sales, you know, I'm just saying, maybe sales would be good for you or something else, like anything else. But no, man, I, look, I was, I was preaching my heart out on Sundays. I was um, an evangelist for our denomination. I was going around the southeastern United States screaming at people, telling them they're going to hell, and I was glad. And I mean, I was out there putting the fun back in fundamentalism, you know, it was just preaching away, right? And so, so I've thought about, like, like, the world that was waiting on me when I graduated from college. It was really important for me and the people that, uh, did y'all see the light come on or is that just me? Okay, so, yes, Lord. So, 
so it was really important for my generation to really learn Christian thought and, uh, and Christian ethics because what we were going into was a postmodern world. So it's kind of important for us to know those things. And, you know, in addition to theology and other things that we learn. But your generation, we have moved on from postmodern. When you guys graduate and you guys get involved in ministry, uh, you are entering a post-Christian world. And so whereas Christian thought, Christian ethics were really important for me to sort of engage the culture, really apologetics is what's really important for you guys to really learn how to engage the culture. And I know that we offer apologetics one and two here. I don't know if it's required or not, but I would say that if you are preparing for ministry in, in this age, then you need to take uh, apologetics one and two. You need to learn how to think uh, theologically and philosophically. And so part of my story is, you know, called to preach, and, and there's been several sort of, <clears throat> I remember when I was in college, preparing for pastoral ministry. That's, that's the job I was preparing for. And as it turns out, over the last 34 years, I've done every single job in the church except pastor. So there's no circumstance under which I would ever be called pastor because I never pastored a church. I preached a lot. I was on staff at a church where I preached every Sunday night for years. And so, you know, a, a preaching ministry has been part of it. Um, but, but I've spent the last 34 years of my life working in corporate America making a salary that paid for me to do every job in the church without having to be paid for it. And it has been the greatest blessing of my life. Now, when I was in college, I was like, man, I just want to go out there and pastor. And, you know, I, I had this idea of what I wanted, and it, it didn't work out that way. But as it turns out, you know, it turned out to be one of the greatest blessings of my life. And so now here we are <clears throat> in St. Augustine, Florida. Uh, we attend a church called uh, Church of 1122. And we are experiencing a revival at my church, unlike... Now, listen, I am a church historian. That is my first love. When Dr. Case told me I could teach history of Christianity, I got way more excited than someone is supposed to get about the ability to teach a class, because it's my favorite class to teach. It's the area I know more about. And so I study revivals, and I, I know what revival is. I know what the the definition of revival is. Now, if, if we started having services every night here and we had great services and the Spirit moved and, and we were all touched and we were blessed, that may be great, but that's not really revival. Revival really, historically, is um, defined by salvations, people coming to the Lord. And the church that I attend, in 2022, uh, we saw 1,943 people received Jesus for the first time, and we baptized 1,083 of them. Now, the reason we didn't baptize all 1,900 is because you never baptize 100%, and about, I think, 300 of those people uh, accepted Jesus in December, and they'll get baptized at the beach. We, we go to the Atlantic Ocean, we take over the beach, and we baptize 500, 600 people at, at the beach <clears throat> once a year, and then we have baptisms in the church. And so, I know that part of what we are doing here at Elam is we are preparing for that next revival, right? That's kind of our theme, right? Thinking about God's move in the last day and that revival. And so really what I want to do is kind of walk through some passages um, today that I believe um, provide the elements necessary for you to be ready to participate in the next great revival. So we are going to look at a, a 
a passage in the Old Testament, so go to Exodus 3, and then we're going to look at a passage in the New Testament. So if you'll go ahead and get your Bibles and get ready, and I apologize for a couple of things. Like I have been battling a virus since last weekend. I was almost afraid I wasn't going to be able to come. And so, um, you know, sore throat and all of that. So that's why I didn't sing any today. I'm trying to save my voice for you, but I may have to drink a lot of water, so I apologize for that. And um, I'll try not to do too much of that. And the second thing is, um, I'm 52 years old. I turned 52 on Monday, and I've discovered that I cannot see with or without glasses. I can see close up with them, but not far away. I can see far away without them, but not with them on. So I'll be taking them on and off, and I apologize if that's uh, distracting. All right, let's pray. Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus who lives forever and pray that you would speak to us in a way that we can clearly understand you. Pray, Lord, that you would reveal things to us that we need to know to participate in the revival that you are sending these days. Lord Jesus, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, for you are my strength and my redeemer. I pray for the hearer that we would not just hear, but we would do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... If you, if you take preaching classes, you learn that you have an introduction, you say what you're going to say, and then three points, and then you say what you just said, and a really strong you know, illustration while somebody's you know, playing a tearjerker up here, and then you close, right? That's kind of how you preach. So we're not doing that today. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read through Exodus, and I'm going to point out various verses when I come to them that highlight things I want you to know. So this is not a three-point sermon. I think it's like an eight-point sermon or something like that. So with that in mind, I just need five minutes. If you are willing to give me five minutes, raise your hand. Raise your hand high. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. All right, we're good. <laughs> Got plenty of time. Plenty of time. We're good to go. All right. So let's dive in. So you know the story of Moses, right? Moses, born, put in a basket, sitting down the river. Pharaoh's daughter catches him, needs somebody to raise him. So uh, Moses' sister goes and get Moses' mother, says, here's somebody. And so Moses ends up being raised in Pharaoh's house, but he's also kind of raised by his mother. You know, he, he sees an Egyptian that, that's doing something wrong. He kills him, thinks he gets away with it. Turns out he didn't get away with it. Pharaoh wants to kill him, so he has to run for his life. Runs for his life, meets some people at a well, he... Uh, some shepherds are giving these women a hard time. He runs the shepherds off. He helps the women get water, takes the women back to their, their family, and um, marries one of those women. And now uh, Moses is far from Egypt in the land of Midian, working for his father-in-law as a shepherd. And here's where we are in, in 3.1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Now listen, if you ever wonder why Moses went to see the burning bush, I'll, I'll tell you ladies something about men that you need to understand. If I went out back... Of, of this building 
and I started a fire, every man within 25 miles from here would find themselves going, is there a fire? And they would come to that fire, and they'd be like, that's a nice fire. Because we're men. We like fire, right? So Moses walking along, there's a fire. Why did he go see it? Because it's a fire, right? All right, so let's move on. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Verse 2, or not verse 2, verse 4, God called to him out of the bush. Look, I know that when you were little, you participated more than anyone else in children's church, and there was some older woman in your church that said, one day he's going to be a preacher, and that's wonderful. And your mother said to you, one day you're going to be a preacher, and that's awesome that mama thinks that. But listen, if you want to participate in the plan that God has for your life, you, you have to have a personal divine encounter with God. You have to be personally called. You do. God will reveal himself to you. He will call you. And you, you won't be able to successfully really do anything in God's kingdom unless you are doing something that you're called to. Now, listen, when I was younger, I thought God's call meant this really, really hyper-specific thing, right? I, like, God is calling me to go to this longitude and this latitude, right? I thought, really specific thing. But what I discovered as I got older and fatter was that really what God is saying is that you just go. I want you to go, and I want you to be willing, and I want you to be prepared to do the next thing. So I don't want you to think that this call of God, and it could be, right? It, it was really specific for Moses, but that's not necessarily how it is. You can say, you can say with confidence, God's called me here. Listen, I know you're called here. I know that you're called to Elam for a couple of reasons. First of all, listen, there are, I went to a Christian school that had everything, right? All the stuff. There are a lot of Christian schools you could go to with more stuff, with, with maybe more classes and more majors and stuff like that. So I know that God's called you here because you came here when you could go other places. And the second reason I don't know God called you here is because no one would ever come anywhere this cold without God calling them, right? You'd come to Florida, right? So, it should go without saying, you have to be called by God. And I want you to look at this next page. I want you to look at this in verse 6. And he said, so this is, so Moses sees the bush, hears God's voice, God calls him, right? And God is getting ready to send Moses. But he does something before he tells Moses what the next step is. In verse 6, he said to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses lived in a polytheistic society where God could mean multiple different things. Before Moses was sent out by God, God taught Moses what he wanted Moses to know theologically. Do you see that? God is saying to Moses, out of all the different gods with a little g out there, the one that is calling you is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is doctrine. Doctrine is important. 
You are here, you're here at Elam, and you're learning doctrine. This is the most important thing you could do before you step out and participate in the revival God is sending to this day. So you have to take that seriously. That's what you're doing here. Theology is important. The land that he lived in with Jethro, everyone had their own idea about who God was or what God was. Does that sound familiar at all? It's kind of where we are, right? Everybody's got their own idea. But what you're doing here is preparing, and God is teaching you truths about himself. Verse 7. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I was in children's ministry in the 90s, and we used Veggie Tales like it was divinely inspired, right? Do you guys grow up on Veggie Tales? So do you remember, I think it was Junior Asparagus, when someone said, a land flowing with milk and honey, he said, sounds sticky. Do you guys remember that? Every single time since the 90s that I read this passage, and I read a land flowing with milk and honey, in my head, I say, sounds sticky. So now you get to do it. To bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, sounds sticky, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God's call on your life is this. This is God's call on your life. Come. Not, I'll, I'll tell you what to do when you go, but come. God is inviting us on a journey to accompany him in the thing that he has already predetermined he is going to do. Now, we stress out a lot about what the next thing is, but what God is saying to us simply Come. It's very important that you and I say yes to the thing that God is telling us to do. Um, th- through, this, through this book tour, um, I've done a lot of interviews, a lot of podcasts, and I, and I met a, a guy that does a huge Christian internet radio thing. His name's Bob Thibodeau. And Bob and I were talking one day, and I said, man, this is a big thing you got going on here. I mean, how did, you, how did you know to do this? He said, it came to me. I was in prayer, and, and God just revealed it to me. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. He said, well, no, not really. I said, why not? He said, because in, in my prayer, when I accepted this, this call from God, he said, you're not the first person I asked to do this. Now, that's scary. That, that frightens me, that God is calling me to do something, and I don't do it, and he sends someone else. That frightens me. So, God is telling us to come and accompany him. Moving on. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. This is my favorite part of this, by the way. I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you you shall serve God on this mountain. Basically, 
Moses says, how do I know this is going to work? And God says, you will know that it's going to work when it works. You will know this is the right thing when you see it happen. Look, man, we want details, right? We want details. But God is saying, you don't need details. You just need to do the next thing. You need to do the next thing that I'm calling you to do. And listen, I'm just going to tell you, and I've learned this through experience, that if God gave us all the details, then it would rob us of a couple of things. Number one, it would rob us on an opportunity to build faith. That's what it would rob us of. And it would rob us of, of, of understanding who God is and what God's nature is. Listen, if, if God would have given Moses all of the details, he probably would have run for his life. The plagues, the, the, the Red Sea, the 600,000 Israelites that were going to die in the wilderness and not get to see the promised land. Listen, following God did not make Moses' life easier. It made it harder. And Moses wasn't ready for that, and God knew that. So our job is not to know the outcome other than God's called us to do it. Bless you, right? It's to go, and it's to follow God. Let's keep going. We've got uh, about 15 minutes. We're going to move to verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, I'm not going to elaborate here, but um, the, the, Hebrew, the, the Hebrew that's spoken here, I am, in Hebrew, is the singular, eye. It's the singular version of the plural, Yahweh. Right? So what, what God is saying here, he's giving, the na- he's giving his name to Moses. And, and I want you to understand that when, when Moses, or when God says, eye, or when we say Yahweh, that's supposed to be said, breathing in and breathing out. Yahweh, right? God is as close as your next breath. Yahweh, right? That's, that's how that's supposed to be said. So that's what, that's what God is revealing to Moses here. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever." And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Do you see what happened there? The doctrine, the doctrine that Moses learned as a part of his call has now been handed over to him to teach others. Do I need to elaborate on that? You guys see that? That's part of the call, right? That's what you're doing here. He is instructing Moses in theology, and then he's telling Moses to go instruct others in theology. I know. You just want to get out there and start working for Jesus, right? You just want to go. Like, I just want to go preach, or I just want to go do this, or I just want to go do that. Like, why do I need all these classes, right? Listen, I hear you. In fact, you know, I, I had a surgeon tell me the other day, look, I didn't want to go to all those classes. I just want to get out there and start doing surgery, man. Or a welder. Man, I don't want to take all those classes. I just want to get out there and start welding, right? That's dumb. So be here while you're here. 3.15. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And let's skip to 
And this will wind up the Exodus passage. And Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. No kidding. But the Lord said to Moses, Put your hand out and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. You know what that staff represented? Moses, Moses was royalty right? Lived in, the, lived in the king's house. Had to run for his life, and now he's doing the job that is the lowest job on the economic scale in this culture. Being a shepherd was failure for Moses. And do you know what that staff represented for Moses? That was the enduring picture of every failure in his life. That staff represented every bad decision that in Moses' eyes disqualified him from ministry. Who am I that I should go? And what does God do? He says, what's that in your hand? I want you to take all your failures, everything that you think disqualifies you from ministry, your past sexual activity, your past drug activity, that time that you stole that thing that nobody knows about, all of that stuff that you bring here is the staff in your hand. And what God is saying to Moses and what God is saying to us is for you to get ready for that revival that I'm sending to these last days, I want you to take the thing that you think disqualifies you from ministry and I'm going to use that thing to glorify my name. I'm not saying go sin so that you got a story, but be proud and be, be joyful of the things that God has delivered you from because God's going to use those things. He's going to use that staff in your hand to reach others. All right, let's land this plane. Go to uh, John chapter 2. This is where I was going. This is where I wanted to end today. This is the point of my sermon. So if you're taking notes, don't miss this one. John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Mary perfectly defines what it means to live out our divine call, and of all the elements necessary for revival, this is the main one. What what does a disciple do? Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. That is the essence of Christian ministry. If I live to be 100 years old, and someone comes to me and says, could you define Christian ministry for me? I'm going to say John 2, 5. Do whatever he tells you to do. Now, how do you know what he is telling you to do? Here's what we do, right? Music's, music's great. You know, there's enough energy in the room to kill mosquitoes. We feel God's presence, and we're praying for manifestations and power, and we're praying for healings. And, and we get in these moments 
with, with our walk with God where we come into this room and we, we find ourselves on our knees and we just say, God, whatever, whatever, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. And God says, thank you. I'm so glad you came to me and said that. Now, go to class. I'm thinking about big stuff, God. God's like, me too. Stop writing papers like you're in the fifth grade. So I'm talking about like later, God. God's like, no, no, don't you understand that the biggest predictor of future success is current activity, right? And what God is saying to you today, this is the crux of it. This is what we're talking about today. If you want to know what God is telling you to do, you have to fall in love with God's word because that is, the, that is the biggest manifestation of God's revelation to us is his word. And if you are not in love, not some, not some legalistic, dutiful obedience to reading the Bible, if you are not in love with God's word, you got to get there before you can do the next thing. Because guys, I'm telling you, listen to me, please, please listen to me. There are no shortcuts to revival. There are no shortcuts to ministry. There are no shortcuts to success. If you leave this place and you have not developed a love for God's word, you're going to go pastor a church and you're going to go cheat with your secretary or you're going to steal money or you're just going to start getting sermons off the internet because God's not speaking to you anymore because you haven't done the stuff that you were supposed to do here, which was fall in love with God's word. That's the key. That's the key. These 66 books that have been preserved for thousands of years God has got you here so that you'll fall in love with God's word. So this is where I come in, and this is where uh, this is why you you took my number down. So here's what I'm going to do for you. Starting Monday, what's today? Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So starting Monday at 7 a.m. Would you show my contact information? Starting Monday at 7 a.m. for four Mondays. Now, I know seven's early, right? But Jesus died for you, so you can get up at seven, right? So, seven a.m. is early. But I want, you to, I want you to meet me via Zoom because I will be back in sunny Florida, God willing, right? And you will see my ugly face on the computer at seven o'clock in the morning. And for four weeks, you and I, are going to spend four weeks reading through James, the book of James, exactly like I just read through Exodus, stopping and commenting. And I would like the opportunity over a four-week period to show you how to read the Bible in a way that will make you fall in love with God's Word. So here's what you have to do. If God is speaking to your heart to do this, I want you to text me your name and your email address. Don't text me your name and email address and then not show up or just show up one time, right? Text me your name, text me your email address, and starting Monday at 7 o'clock, we'll spend an hour, just an hour, because I, I have to go do my thing at 8 o'clock. So I, I can't stay past 8. And let's spend some time learning to love God's Word together. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to all go eat some cafeteria food. How about that? Let's pray. The extent to which you preserve this word for us, God, is, is overwhelming. The people through the ages that have tried to distort your word, 
or hide your word, or the dark ages in Europe when even the priests didn't know your word. You held out a remnant, and here we are today. We can stand on a street corner anywhere in America, and we can read it openly. And we have such access to your word. Most of us have it on our phone. But we ignore it. God, forgive us. Help us, help us not to be hearers of the word only, but doers. Help us to understand what the next thing is. And Lord Jesus, prepare our hearts for revival. God, we ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen.